Good morning. Welcome. We are glad you're here, whether you're joining us in the house right here, or whether you're joining us online or on a podcast during the week. I'm so glad that you are with us. We are in the middle of our Exodus series. And if you're just joining us, here's a quick catch up. We're following God's people as they leave slavery in Egypt and go to the promised land as Moses is with them. But when they're not yet in the promised land, they're in a wilderness season. And a wilderness season is those seasons of life where you are not where you were, but you're not yet where you want to be. In the wilderness, God is is testing his people. We see it over and over. With each circumstance, with each conflict, with everything that comes up against them, he asks them, do you trust me? Over and over. Do you trust me with your needs? Do you trust me with your cravings and desires? Do you trust me when the way is uncertain and cloudy ahead? Do you trust me when you're not getting the things from life that you want most? Do you trust me when you come up against circumstances that are much larger than you? Do you trust me when life takes a turn and things seem to go out of control? Do you trust me when life gets hard when valleys get dark and when the journey becomes painful, do you trust me? It's what he's constantly asking his people and it's what he asks us even today. And some of you, in fact, probably each of you in your own place are in a wilderness season somewhere. You're not where you were, but you're not yet where you wanna be. And there are circumstances that you are facing right now that are likely causing you some frustration, some anxiety, and uncertainty. And the question he asks you is the question he asks in Exodus. Do you trust me? Do you trust me in the divorce, in the diagnosis, in the dark valley? Do you trust me when the the way ahead is is uncertain and, and we don't know? This is what we're learning in Exodus. We've learned that Moses isn't the one leading the people. It's actually God leading the people. Remember? Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. And so we can be assured as we watch God lead them through the wilderness that whatever conflict, whatever circumstance, whatever they face, they have been led there by Yahweh God himself. In Exodus 17, he led them to a place where there's no water. And they grumbled. They wanted to kill Moses. God provided water from the rock and gave his people what they needed most. He showed them they could trust him with their their basic needs that have to be met. And to get today, we're going to pick up in that same chapter, Exodus 17. They're still camped there in that dry place. They've just been watered by the rock of God. And so far, up to this point, after the Red Sea, every conflict that they have had has been internal. They've been grumbling amongst themselves. We need water. We need food. We're we're tired of this. We're tired of that. It's all been internal. But we're about to see that something is going to happen here in 17 that is an external, an outside occurrence. A circumstance outside of their control attacks them. Exodus 17, verse 8. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Now, the people of God, these are ex-slaves. They're not military. And they're camped here in this dry and arid place. And guess what? They're vulnerable. Now, Amalek and his warriors, they're a professional nomadic tribe who goes around pillaging and plundering. In fact, this is, this is a, an ancient civilization. This is a brutal time. They would overtake another nomadic tribe. They would kill the men, take the women and children as slaves, and they would take all the spoils they wanted, adding it to their tribe. Amalek has likely been doing this for quite a while. And while he's learned a few things, always attack at the most vulnerable place. So he would attack God's people at the rear of their camp. That's where they are weakest. 
The people at the rear of the camp would have been those that he would have started raiding and plundering. That would be the, the, the neediest, the least resistance. Now, God is teaching his people to trust. And the truth is that God could have fought this battle right there and just like he did with the Egyptians, wipe them, wipe them out. In fact, God also, he could have said, no, you're not going to attack and just put the cloud there and they couldn't have come any closer. God could have done any of those, any of those things, but he allowed this external circumstance to conflict them, to attack them. He's teaching his people trust. He's wanting to build courage and grit in his people that they can trust and partner with him. Now, as they are attacked, this would have caused great anxiety and fear. And God is asking, do you trust me when external circumstances hit your life unexpectedly? As humans, we get this, don't we? We have all had a time or are in a time where external circumstances are crashing against our lives. Do you trust me when unforeseen circumstances attack your well-being? God wants his people to trust him and to partner with him in this. Verse 9, Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. Now, a few things. We're introduced to this young man, Joshua, who we'll see a lot more of. Moses leads the people in front of God, but Joseph, Joseph, I'm sorry, Joshua will lead the battle with the people. I want you to see there's two things present. Joshua present with the sword and Moses with the staff. We fight and stand with the tools that God has given us, but we must be aligned with the authority of heaven. Now, before I take one more step into this battle narrative, I need to make something very clear, uh, especially when it comes to these Old Testament accounts of battle and, and war. Some of us are tempted to apply these lessons to our lives today, that we have human enemies and we must go out and fight for the, the sake of God. But that would be a mistake. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Old Promise is for these specific Hebrew people, and they are fighting their way into the promised land. But guess what? Thanks be to God, you don't have to do that. Jesus came and gave us the New Testament, the new covenant, the new promise. He bled and died to make a way into your promised land. He did the fighting for you. The New Testament is very clear that our battle is not against other people. Our enemy is not the Amalekites. It's not another political party. It's not another group of humans. We don't pick up swords and go to battle with other humans because they are not our enemy. In fact, those people, those and thems that we refer to, that you refer to in your life maybe, those are people who need Jesus. Those are people who Jesus loves and who he died for. And those are people that Jesus' spirit is calling to come to him for salvation. Think of the people, those people out there who frustrate you the most, that anger you the most. We're tempted to make them an enemy. Jesus loves them. Jesus died for them. And the greatest thing we could do is pray that they are saved by Jesus. Now, you might feel, and I can feel the tension, you might feel because of the values that they are pushing forward, it's in direct conflict with everything you think God values and everything that you value, and it may feel like you want or need to attack them, but the Bible is very clear for us. In the New Testament, Jesus makes it very clear that we do have an enemy who is trying to, to change our world and our culture and take people farther from the way and the will of God. Our enemy is very clear in the New Testament. It is the accuser. It is Satan. And he works to break lives, break apart marriages, break hearts, and break down anything wise or beautiful or good that God is doing. 
Here's a few verses that, that give us a glimpse into this battle. Ephesians 6, 10 through 11. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the cable news networks. No, see, it doesn't fit. It's the devil. It's the devil's the enemy. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against the rulers and authorities of the unseen world, the mighty powers of this dark world, and against the evil spirits in heavenly place. There are those who want to destroy the people of God. There are those who want to thwart the will of God and the ways of God in this world. I pull aside to say this because we as humans, we have a natural tendency to forget about this and find an enemy and think that someone else is our enemy. That cable news reporter on the other channel, that is my enemy. Those people who did that, they're my enemy. Now, I'm talking to everyone here. Those people, Jesus died for and they need Jesus. So if you have a group of people that frustrate you and anger you, do you want to know the greatest thing that could happen in their life? Salvation. So you pray for that. That will change the battle in a way that, you want to know what changes the worldview? The Holy Spirit. You want to begin to change and ask questions on someone's identity? The Holy Spirit. He speaks languages and he speaks into their heart in a way we cannot. So if you have someone that frustrates you, that you believe is the enemy of what God would want, you need to know that God wants that person saved and you can pray along with that. Nothing would change that person's life more than coming to Jesus. Now, this is a difficult subject, and I know there's tension. I know there's like a, but yeah, pastor, or but and, you got to admit. Let me just tell you what Jesus says here in Matthew 5, 43. He says, you've heard it said in the law, in the old covenant, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I'm giving you a new covenant. I say, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of the Father in heaven. I mean, this is love God and love people. You don't have to agree with the people. You don't have to trust the people. You don't have to endorse their, their, their behavior. But we are without excuse to love people, all people. So back to our Old Testament battle, okay? With that being said, so Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. A hill. We have Moses, his brother, and Hur on top of a hill. And below it is the battle gathered for war. Now, Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could not hold them up any longer. He's holding this staff through, through the ward. His arms get fatigued. And so Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. And they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands were held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. So while Joseph and the army were down there fighting the battle with the, the weapons of, of a human, humanity, Moses was raising high the authority, the staff of God. Who was winning the war? Who was winning the war? It was God. Held high. The battle was won. A few, a few points to make from this. A few minor points, and then we're going to go dig into some New Testament stuff. The Christian life, first and foremost, was not meant to be lived alone. Can you imagine if it was just Moses up there by himself on the hill, how that battle may have gone? Here's the question. Do you have people in your life who will hold your arms up in prayer when your faith is fatigued? Do you have people, close friends, who will hold you up as you're going through a dark valley or a battle? Her and Aaron held the arms of Moses, so the battle was won. Who holds you in prayer in your battles? Do you have those people? We each need real, authentic friendships you know those times where you leave a discussion and your faith is stoked and your passion is refilled and refreshed and you're like, whew, 
Man, do you, you have friendships that, that spark your faith and grow your passion? We need those friends. We need friends to hold us accountable. We need friends to help us where we're weak. And he, just so you know, here at the orchard, you can probably tell we are growing. There are people in this room that you don't know. <laughs> your faith was never divine, designed to be fulfilled in one hour on a Sunday in this room. I just want to tell you, this one hour on a Sunday is not enough to feed your faith and hold you strong. We say this about our church, that we need faith and community during the week. And so we want to be a church of circles, not rows. What that means is this. What makes us strong and healthy as a church isn't our rows on Sunday. It's our circles and living rooms and office spaces meeting in small groups during the week. You're never supposed to live the Christian walk alone. You need people to hold you up. Our small group ministry is called Growth Groups, and I can't endorse a ministry, any ministry more than that one. In Growth Groups, you will find people from all walks of life who you will get to know and who will know you, people who will hold your arms up when your faith is fatigued and circumstances are hard, who will pray and support you in hardship. I would encourage you to use the information inside your bulletin contacting and involved in a growth group to be a part of what it means to be a church of circles, not rows. Because if I know anything, it's that you're in a wilderness somewhere in your life and external circumstances are attacking you. Do you have people to hold you up in prayer? They win the battle and it says this in verse 15, Moses built an altar there and he named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. I love this. There's, this is so rich. I could have written three sermons on this alone. The Lord is my banner. God is my standard, my flag. You have to remember, what's, what's the question in the wilderness that God asked his people? Do you trust me? The sword in Joshua's hand out there winning the battle, or was it the staff of God, the symbol of his authority and presence that was winning the battle? Well, we know it was God who was winning. So while he wants his people to go forth and use the tools and gifts that he's given them, he wants them to know it's not their might alone that gets the greatest victory. How does this apply to you? Well, here's how. God has given you, based on your personality and temperament and giftings, tools and gifts to succeed in life and be effective in different places, to excel at something. But he wants you to know that it's not by your mind or might alone that you will have the greatest victories in your life. If you have given, let's say he's given you gifts of finance, and you can read a spreadsheet and maybe even make one. Uh, you know the markets, and you know numbers, and all these things. He's, he's made you in a way to go forth and use those gifts in an effective way. But, but there's, a, there's a, something very important, and first of all, it's to acknowledge who the gift giver is. Before every service, we, we circle up as a production team and worship team, and we say this so often, thank you for the gifts that you have put in this circle. We give them back to you as the gift giver. What gifts has God given you? What tools has he given you? Acknowledge him, and second of all, Raise him up in your life, in your prayers, wherever you are at work. Pray that his presence would have an impact and effect in you and through you that would be far greater than on your own. Partnering with God adds divine wisdom. That's good for any business or any parent or any home. Listen, whether you are in business or at home, having your hands raised in your spiritual life to Yahweh Nisi, God my banner, having your hands raised in prayer and need in your work and at home, acknowledging God as the authority over your life, saying, I need you. I need you as a parent. I need you as a spouse. I need you as a boss. I need you as an employee. I, I need you and I acknowledge you. It can make all the difference. 
For some of you this week, it is to raise your hands at work. It's to raise your hands at home and pray to Yahweh Nisi. God is my banner to have victory in your place. It can change everything. Have your hands raised to him and work and at home can bring victory in ways that you will never be able to. What more does it mean that God is our banner? It means that he is above all things in our life if he is our banner. That he is our highest standard, our highest flag, our highest authority, our highest priority. It means that I identify with him above all earthly things. Now we are a people who understand banners. We understand flags. You, I, mean, I don't know if you've ever been to the South. Every house has a flag outside of some football team, college team they support. Here, you know, there's flags on, on houses. There's flags on cars. There's flags on school buildings, on courthouses. There's flags in protests. There's flags in parades. And every flag identifies somebody to something. We, we, we raise the banner to say, this is, this is me. What does it mean to have God as our banner? It means the Yahweh Nisi, that means that we identify with God first and foremost over anything else on this earth. It means that we live with a heavenly calling and purpose. It means we know that we are citizens of heaven here doing God's will. Because it is a banner above all others, that means that I'm a citizen of heaven before I'm an American. Now, I love America but I'm a citizen of heaven at the truest, deepest part of who I am. Philippians in the New Testament discusses this. He goes into a little bit about what it looks like when someone only looks at earthly things. Philippians 3.20, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. Again, I'm going to say this again. My body might live in a democratic republic, but the deepest part of my spirit is a monarchy because I answer to a king. And he is the banner that I will live my life under and live my life for. It also means we have a heavenly calling and priority above our priorities here on earth. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, if you are following Jesus, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in a place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Set your sights, set your heart, set your mind on the things of heaven. Align your life with the calling of heaven. Having God as our banner means that love God and love people isn't a motto. It's marching orders for every day. Love God, love people isn't a bumper sticker. It's a battle cry. Love God, love people isn't something that informs your life. It should define our lives. And the deepest part of us, having God as my banner, I identify with him above all earthly things. That means my purposes and ways are on his priority. That, the, that you are here on this earth with a calling to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love people, all people. And to go forth and point all people to the one whose banner you carry. That when they see you and they see your life and they get around you, they can tell this is a person who doesn't wave any other banners but God. See, many of us are, get so involved here on in our life on earth that we don't stop to think about what banner we live under. I'm, I'm included in this. All week, what, what banners do I live my life under? What is my highest standard? When other people see our lives, who do they know we live for? Because we have all kinds of banners that people live for. We have national flags, political affiliations, cultural associations, 
We live under a banner of success at work or a banner of, of relationships at home. We live under, a lot of us, under a, a banner of being happy. That's our highest goal and standard. Especially the challenge for me as I thought through this is, is I have a big banner of me. That, that who's, who's my highest priority? Well, it's me. Who's my highest authority? Who do I answer to? That's me. And it's hard to recognize those places where we're carrying any other banner and to pull that down, ask God's forgiveness, and raise up the banner of Yahweh in our life to say, I am his, and I will live for him alone. God is looking for a people who are willing to tear down personal banners and declare God. Say, God, you and your ways are my highest priority and my highest authority. And I'm going to do what you please, even when it's hard. I'm going to do what you would ask, even when I don't feel like it, because my feelings don't lead my faith. My faith leads my feelings. And so I'm going to do what you ask, even when it's hard, because you are my banner. You are Yahweh Nisi. Now, Yahweh and Nisi are two Hebrew words. One is the name of our God. And one means banner. But this word banner is very interesting. The root of it is the word ness. And ness means something lifted up. Ness also means rallying point. Something lifted up as a rallying point. A rallying point is a place you run to to find unity. A rallying point is a place you run to to find unity in mission. Okay? Where do we as a church run? What's our rallying point for mission? Where do we run for unity? You see, Moses lifted that staff high and it brought the people salvation in that battle. But how does this connect to the New Testament? How does it connect to Jesus? And how does all that connect to you? Well, let's leave Exodus and I want to go forward to the prophet Isaiah. Prophet Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 11. He is um, overcome by the Spirit and he's giving a prophecy about someone who's going to come. Someone special, Messiah. Listen to this. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Someone will be born from the lineage of David. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will be upon him. Do you know what Jesus' first words of his first sermon were? Well, it's from Isaiah. The spirit of the living God is upon me. He continues, Isaiah, he says this, the spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and the fear of the Lord will be upon him. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge people based on their appearance and he will not make decisions on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his words. And I gotta say, there's no one in history that has shaken the world than Jesus and what he has spoken. He has shaken kingdoms. The whole world has trembled and been impacted by his, his words. And this next verse says this. One breath from his mouth will destroy wickedness. Now that's fascinating. It took me, I prayed on that for a little bit. I believe Luke 23 might reference this breath. What breath of Jesus would destroy wickedness? Luke 23, it says, and then Jesus breathed his last And on that last exhale there on the cross, he destroyed once and for all sin and death and made a way for salvation. But then we get to Isaiah 11, verse 10, and it gets interesting. In that day, the heir of David's throne will be a a banner of salvation to the world. And guess what? Is it the same word? Of course it is. That that someday, this, this someone who's coming will be a banner 
of salvation. Now, the Old Testament over and over and over is declaring that someone's coming. Someone's going to come and change everything. Someone's going to make a way to the Father. And here the prophet Isaiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says that that someone will be a banner of salvation. It's the same word that means a something lifted up. Something lifted high. A rallying point that we run to for unity. And that someone is Jesus. Jesus is our banner. He was lifted high up to bring salvation. He was something lifted high to be a rallying point. Jesus is our banner. He was lifted up. He was held up. Moses' arms were held by his friends, but Jesus' arms were held by nails. But were they really? He could have come off that cross at any moment. So while Moses' arms were held up by his friends, Jesus' arms were held by love. Love for you, love for the Father. Jesus is our banner. He was lifted high on a cross, and he won the battle against sin and death and brought salvation. Jesus is our banner. He ascended into heaven, the highest places, and he is our rallying point that we run to for unity. I want to just tell you something. Unity isn't agreeing on all of our opinions. Unity isn't agreeing on all those kinds of things. Unity is a being one heart. Unity is being different but finding common ground. And Jesus is our banner. He is the rallying point that we as a church can run to to find unity, even though we don't agree on all the things here on earth. Listen to how Paul puts it. He says, in this life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in us. Lives in all of us. He's, listen, listen, so that list right there, that is charged with dynamite, cultural dynamite. There are people on that list who are killing other people. There are people on that list protesting other people, thinking other people are less than. That list is charged culturally. Let me update it a little bit. What if Paul wrote it to us as a church? He would say, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are an American or an immigrant, a Republican or Democratic, barbaric, marginalized, poor or rich. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Amen. It is Christ above all. It is Jesus, our banner, above all things, so that we can disagree on some of those things down here, but we can come together and worship shoulder to shoulder with brothers and sisters because Christ is our banner. Start preaching. The reason we don't want to, we shouldn't break unity for those other issues is because Jesus is so far high above every one of those issues. Here at this church, we say all the time, we keep Jesus, the, we keep the main thing, the main thing. And what's the main thing? It's Jesus. And why is this vital? So that we at the orchard can have unity together in this room. But more than that, that you can go to a small group and sit in a living room and have discussions about unity, even though you disagree on earthly issues. It means that we can be in here and worship shoulder to shoulder, even though you might not agree politically. Because the one thing that we agree on is the most important thing in the world, and that is Jesus lived, died, and arose again, and he calls you and me, his people, to live for him under his banner and point every single person that we come into contact to to him. We are here to illuminate him. Jesus is our banner. 
Jesus is lifted high for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus was lifted high as the rallying point for our unity. And our unity is going to be tested in the coming months and years as we get to some cultural, national things. But in this church, there is one hill I will stand on. That is Jesus Christ. Above all things, that we might find unity in this room, in this place, as this family. What does this mean for us today? This is a big question because it requires us to ask, who is my banner? What is my banner? What, what flag am I most known? What flag am I known for out there waving? I had to wrestle with that this week. Who is my highest authority? Who is my highest priority? For others of you, I know that you are facing circumstances. You've been attacked by circumstances. You understand that there's something has happened to you and you're under the weight of that and you need, you need Jesus to show up and turn the tide and win the battle. In order to I get that, we have those places in our life and so today as we go into this last song about Lord leading us from Egypt, about winning these battles, uh, we're going to have some elders and leaders up front and in the back. We would love to pray for you, pray for you in, over those places. And if you don't need prayer today, I'm going to ask this, that you, uh, this is kind of a challenge, I was thinking about this the first service, you don't have to do it, don't need to. Um, Moses held his arms up for quite a while. I bet that battle wasn't, wasn't quick. We have this one last song. What if you held your hands up? to Jesus, our banner, asking him to bring victory into your life in those places. What if you held your hands up through this song? See how tired your hands get. Maybe if you see somebody getting weak, you go help them, you hold them up. But if there are those of you who need Jesus to give you victory in your life, may you raise your hands to the one who is the banner above all. I want to take, because of this, I want to take communion together today, if that's okay with you. So if you would take your communion, if you need communion, we have up here in the front too. We also have some up there. I think in the back. If you need communion, you can raise your hand. If you're watching with us at home or listening later, please feel free to take communion on your own, wherever you are. And before we take the bread, we're reminded this is Jesus' body that was broken for us. As the banner of Jesus was raised up on that cross, his body was broken. And before we partake, I want you to just take a moment. Anything that comes up that you need to confess and ask forgiveness for, you do so right now. Jesus, may your grace cover us. This is your body broken for us. Take and eat. And there as you are raised on that cross, you are raised high on that banner. As the banner of salvation, your blood was shed. The blood that made a way for a new promise and a new covenant for each of us that made a way to the Father. Thank you that your blood covers our sin. Thank you, Jesus. Take and drink. As we go into the song of prayer, please come find one of us. If you're in a place in your life where you have a need, Raise your hands up for, you, for Jesus, our banner.
for all of us. Let us worship God. Let us worship Jesus for all that he has done and all that he will do in our midst to save us.